Uh, good morning. Um, so, I want to talk today a little bit about uh, slow travel. So, slow travel is something that I discovered for myself after I retired in 2012. Uh, before that time, when I was on the road, my objective was to get from point A to point B efficiently. And now, my objective is to get from point A to point B eventually. So in the past, I've had as a theme such things as civil rights tours. But this summer, I decided to do Native American sites. In the course of the summer, I went to um, about two dozen Native American sites um, over a period of about three months. When I travel, I use the internet, of course, and sometimes I use guidebooks. Um, but in this case, I found two books that were very useful for Native American sites. One is House of Rain by Craig Childs. You may be familiar with him. He's fairly famous in writing about Native American sites. And in particular, he's fascinated with Chaco. And his book, House of Rain, follows a theoretical path of the people who left Chaco. Now, being in the Santa Fe area along the Rio Grande, we know about uh, the Pueblos in this area. But there's some evidence that Puebloan people also went further to the west and south, even as far as Casas Grande, uh, also known as Paquime. So he follows that um, theoretical path in different sections in his book. And it's very nice because if you're in one of those areas, you can read that chapter and get some idea of the theories about uh, Puebloan peoples. Also, another interesting book is David Grant Noble's Ancient Ruins and Rock Art of the Southwest. That one's very useful because it's also arranged by regions, but he gives you more technical information about the sites you may see and also how you might find um, your way there. So my first explorer was back in March. Uh, there's a hiking group that I belong to, and we go out every year for about a week-long stay someplace. And in the course of that, we go out on hikes. So this year, we went to the Cedar Mesa district, and we had Bluff as our base of operations. So the purple line there, you can see the kind of canyon country, Cedar Mesa, where we traveled. And the, the dark lines are where I either drove or hiked. And the blue marker is Bluff. So it's in the southeast corner of Utah. And we went to uh, nine different sites there. So the first one I'm going to show is, um, this is Wolfman Petroglyph Panel. Very nice site. Uh, you can see there's a man there, there's a, a bird, and then there's a crane. The crane is, 
is standing there with its wings outstretched, and you can see the feathers coming down. And we'll see more of that motif later on, a couple more times, actually. You'll also notice there's some pock marks in the petroglyph. Unfortunately, people in the past have used petroglyphs as target practice. Then there's another um, interesting panel in the same area called procession panel. And here you see lines of animals lined up. They all seem to be going somewhere. And then there's also a line of, of people. Um, let's see. And um, in the upper, upper right, I've shown a detail of the line of people. Um, almost cartoonish, very um, inviting. So I promise you more of the crane, and this is a, a nice petroglyph called the Big Crane Petroglyph. Um, it's in beautiful shape, and it actually takes some time to get there. You have to hike in for about an hour to get to this petroglyph. And I think that's one of its saving graces, that uh, it doesn't get a lot of traffic, and so it hasn't really suffered the fate of some of the other petroglyphs. Um, I like to think of this as a bird in flight um, with the sun, um, but I have no idea if that's correct or not. Then getting on to more in the nature of buildings, uh, this is an area called Cave Canyon Towers. It's also sometimes referred as, as Mule Towers. These are also in that Bluff Cedars uh, Mesa area, and they're very similar to towers that you might find in Hovenweep which is just across the border, the Colorado border, into uh, Utah. Um, these were like little fortresses, my, my understanding, and were often set up near sources of water. If you continue down that canyon, you find yourself in another um, type of ruin. Uh, in this one, on the left, the picture on the left, you can see the little ruin in the foreground, and then you can see there's a ledge that sort of goes off into the distance, and that eventually ends in a cliff. So this is kind of a, a remote area with about one way to access it. What's nice about this area, too, is that it has some very nice petroglyphs. In this case, something that looks like a duck, and then also a bighorn sheep. Sometimes you can find, in addition to uh, the buildings, some artifacts. And so in this case, in the picture on the right, you can see there's a pot sherd and some little corn cobs. And it's nice when you find those things. Unfortunately, a lot of people, when they see something like this, think how nice it would be to have something as a keepsake. And so with time, there's less and less of this material. And then continuing in the same area, we went to Mule Canyon. Very often you'll see a small structure there, and those structures were often used as granaries. Certainly the ones that you find that are too small for a person were places that, where they stored their grain, typically corn, and um, often they were sealed up to prevent rodents from getting in there. You know, one of my friends, that was on this trip was very interested in doing some real hiking. And he was a little bit upset that we had gone 
to one of the ruins. He thought we'd only be a little while, and we spent maybe an hour and a half, and so he felt kind of cheated. So um, he convinced me that we needed to go to this one called uh, Road Canyon. So the two of us went out there. Beautiful canyon. To give you some idea of the landscape, there's off on the left, there's, there's one of these hoodoos. When we were there, it was spring, and um, there was frozen water there in the canyon. And then if you look on the one on the right, I will do a laser pointer to my friend. And I do that just to give you some idea of the scale, because if you look at it, you might think these are just uh, small boulders, but it's actually a deep canyon. The reason to go into this canyon is it has a couple of really glorious ruins. Uh, this one is a granary. It's called Fallen Roof Granary. And you can see that the buildings in here, the structures, are in really good shape. But if you look in the foreground, you can see a lot of slabs of rock lying on the ground, and those have fallen out of the ceiling. And so this is just a reminder that even as old as these structures are, nothing is really permanent. Someday that roof is going to fall in the wrong place, and these will be gone. And then another very interesting one, for me at least, was one called Seven Kivas. On the left, you can see some of the structure, and it's open. On the right, what you're seeing is the top of a kiva. And so there's still the wood, there's still the mud that forms the roof. And so this structure has not collapsed. So it's been there for hundreds of years, and it's still relatively intact. And so that's one of the real delights in going into a place like this, seeing structures that are still in fairly good repair. Another nice thing about this canyon was, as you walk along, there are other little ruins tucked away. So I was talking with my friend as we were down in the canyon, and I looked past him up on the cliff, and I could see a little granary up there in a very remote spot. And so those sorts of discoveries are really um, affirming, I would guess, or satisfying. Now, in the same area, we went to, to a place called Butler Wash. Butler Wash is pretty easy to get into. And this one I found fascinating because there's a fairly intact and ex extensive cliff dwelling in there. If you try to figure out how people got in, I wasn't able to figure it out. The people I was with weren't able to figure it out. And so it may be that there were other structures, maybe made of wood, ladders that could be pulled up, or rope ladders that allowed people access to this. But right now, you can't get in there, which is a good thing. <laughs> and then we continued on to the South Fork of Mule Canyon. This one is interesting because if you look over to the right, you see these little indentations in the rock. And they form a kind of staircase or ladder. Some people refer to these as Moki Steps. So if you hear someone say Moki Steps, that's what they're talking about. 
And it was a way to get up very steep um, cliff sides or um, angled rock. I once went up one um, to a ruin that was inaccessible, except you could go up these steps. But if you fell, you were going to fall tens of feet and be very seriously injured. So having done it once, I will never go back to that one again. So having finished with that trip, I went on another trip. And here was truly an add-on. For this trip, I went with a friend. We did some canyons. I like to do canyoneering. So we were out there with our ropes. And we were doing our canyoneering. Um, but I found out that in this area, it's near Globe, Arizona, and east of Phoenix. So there's a reservoir called Roosevelt Reservoir. And on the south shore of Roosevelt Reservoir is Tonto National Monument. And um, you can see in this very large alcove that there's ruin. And what's interesting is as you drive and you're miles away from it, there's a rest stop and you can stay, uh, stop at the rest stop, look up and you can see this alcove. So it's very impressive. You can see it for a long way off. There are two of these. And one is easily accessible. You just go to the visitor center and you walk up there. The other one, you have to go on a guided tour and is, is much further, much further hike. And then on the right here, you can see that um, the weather, the, the winter this past year was very wet. And so Eastern Arizona was really alive with wildflowers. And this picture just reminds me of those Arizona highways uh, cover art that you, that you see, cover photos. Um, very nice to, to see that this year. So here's a, another view of some of the ruins. I would say that these were not particularly impressive or distinctive for me. Um, and this is the Salado culture. Uh, if you look from the ruin, out towards Roosevelt Lake. You can see Roosevelt Lake off in the distance. And then it's a little more subtle, but if you look on the right-hand side, you'll see the hillside is all orange. That's a globe mallow. If you look on the left, there's a, a bitter root that's a yellow color. And so the yellow flowers like to grow on the left and the orange ones on the right, and it was very abrupt. I thought that was kind of interesting. And then I went to the visitor center there, and I'm fairly familiar with the ancestral Puebloan cultures because of all the Pueblos that are around here, but I'm much less familiar with some of the other cultures. And so when I saw the sign that said this was a Salado culture, I was very curious about that because I hadn't really heard of that before. And so you can see that on this map, um, they have these different regions and the Salado is there. Uh, so I found this map very helpful. Um, some friends and I have gone out on a search. Um, we've looked for a place called Hoskinini's Hideout. Uh, if you're familiar with David Roberts, he got very interested in the Comb Ridge area and wrote several books. Uh, Sandstone Ridge is one of those. 
he also decided that he was going to go look for where Hoskinini had his hideout. So if you go back in, in history, if you remember Kit Carson and the U.S. Army was trying to break the power of the Navajo right around the time of the Civil War, in the early 1860s. And they were very successful at doing that. Um, the Navajo ended up going to Bosque Redondo, where they had a very hideous experience, and then eventually went back to what is now the Navajo Reservation, or the Navajo Nation. Hoskinini was one of the leaders, and he was never caught, and he never surrendered. And so there was some speculation about where he was. He hid out for years, and he had a small band with him. He was discovered only once by a Ute Indian who did not report his presence. So David Roberts decided he would go out and look for this Hogan that he understood that Hoskinini had. He published this in, in one of his books, and he wrote some articles on it. The Hogan that may or may not be the one that Hoskinini used is shown on the right. So the little group that I was with, we went out, this was the third year, I went out for two years with them that we were looking for this Hogan and we found it. So this was great success. However, there are other places to see here too. And this is on the Navajo Reservation, Navajo Nation, um, right on the border between Arizona and Utah. If you know about Rainbow Bridge, Rainbow Bridge is very near there. So we went on other little explorers besides looking for the hideout. And uh, this is one of those. So what I'm showing is this kind of alcove that's very difficult to get to. We looked at it and we could see the dim features of what looked like a little granary off in the shadows. And then my friend Steve decided to go down and take a look. And so in that far right picture, you can see Steve with a rope for safety taking a peek into the alcove. Um, Steve and Ron also went around exploring and they found another ruin up one of the side canyons where we had been looking for Hoskinini's hideout. And the center picture here shows um, kind of the scale. You can see the two people off on the right and the overhanging cliff that makes the alcove and then a couple of little buildings. And on the left are some stones that had names inscribed in them. Uh, one is John Wetherill from back in 1917. And so occasionally you'll find these inscriptions. So that same Pueblo and Ruin, you can see some nice stonework there. And you can also see there's a little doorway and there's a stone, um, a vertical slab, and that's to deflect wind. So there's a little box beyond that where you can build a little fire and then when the wind comes in, the, you know, the draft to keep the uh, fire going, it doesn't blow on the fire directly. 
So this was a more directed trip. I have some friends who go out in their van every year. And this year, they'll spend more than half the year in their van just traveling around the country. He recently retired as a lawyer. And um, he and his wife have been just using their time to go explore the country. Right now, they're on a trip that will take them on the Lewis and Clark Trail. So this is Chaco Canyon, really famous um, ruin. A, um, really sort of the source for what we consider ancient Puebloan uh, culture. And this is a nice view looking generally west from the uh, mesa that is above um, the main ruin, uh, Benita. Oops. Uh, so some of the hallmarks of the Chaco culture are the very fine stonework, the elaborate stonework, and also these T-shaped doorways. And so when uh, Craig Childs goes around the country and he's looking at different places to see if they have a connection with Chaco, that's one of the things he looks for, the stonework and in particular that T-shaped doorway. More recently, I went on an 18-day tri uh, trip. Uh, I had, had looked on the internet and I realized that the Silver Cities Blues Festival was going on. I've been to that several times. There was the fellowship, the Unitarian Fellowship in Silver City at one time ran a fundraiser where they did home hospitality and you would go down there for the weekend, you do various things with them and you'd go to the Blues Festival. And so I have some friends down there. Uh, that was one of the reasons that I decided to do this. Also, I really wanted to see Chiricahua National Monument and you'll see a picture or two of that later. On the right is this map where the, all those red lines show where I drove during this trip. And the line, that vertical line is the New Mexico-Arizona border. So Chiricahua is down there in that southeast part of Arizona. One of the places I really wanted to one of the places I really wanted to see was um, the Western University of New Mexico Museum. They have a really nice collection of Mimbres pottery. They also have some really nice baskets there. If you're ever in Silver City, you need to stop at this place. I had been there in the past and not taken advantage of this. So I spent a good part of the afternoon going through their exhibits there. And the, the thing I find very distinctive about the members pottery are, is the use of animals in their pottery. And so these two pieces I just was really very pleased with. Uh, the one on the right seems to be a combination of a bird and a snake. And um, that's an image I hadn't really seen before. Um, on the day of the Blues Festival, I took the morning and I drove up to Gila Cliff Dwellings. Another interesting place that has some connection with the Puebloans, ancient Puebloan peoples. This area is um, 
what you call it, it's, it's a place that has reliable water. So in times of drought, people have come in from the surrounding areas and sort of um, camped out there, whatever you want to call it. But it's been a refuge for them uh, to last through droughts. And you can see here that T-shaped doorway, which is one of these signatures of Chacoan culture. So why did I go to Chiricahua National Monument? Well, this picture sort of says it. There are these rhyolite formations. So rhyolite is kind of similar to volcanic tuff, but it ends up being much, um, much harder and more resistant to erosion. But when it does erode, it erodes in these columns. And so this is a fascinating area. Lots of nice hikes there, a really nice campground. You can spend a lot of time really enjoying this, this area. I went north from there up towards a town called Springerville. On my way, I saw a sign that said Sipe White Mountain Wildlife Area, and I thought, why not? So I turned, and I went down there. Very nice people at the visitor center. I was the only visitor at the time, and it turns out there's also a Playboy and Ruin there called Rudd Creek. So I went over there, hiked over there to look at it, and this place is interesting because it has some very interesting and elaborate stonework. I saw a really nice picture in the visitor center, and I was able to find something that approximated that, but wasn't nearly as extensive. That's that, that picture there um, on the left. And on the right-hand side, you can see one of these kind of modern tourist collection points. People go to these uh, ruins, and they'll find an interesting piece of pottery, and they'll put it, put it out for others to enjoy. So it's kind of nice. Then in Springerville is Casa Malpais. To get there, you need to sign up at the visitor center in town, and they will take you out there on a bus. So all the tours there are not, there are no self-led tours. You go out there with a guide. This place is interesting because it, um, in the front, as you're looking out, you see a river, so it's got water. Then behind the ruin are these basalt cliffs, and you can see a lot of fissures in the cliffs. Well, it goes beyond that, because the Pueblo was built out over top some of these fissures, and you had a ready-made basement. You had kind of places where you could, you, you would cover them up with your building, and then you had access to these, uh, these areas. So that was interesting. I hadn't seen anything like that before. And then there's a um, summer solstice uh, petroglyph. And apparently, at, at summer solstice, a shadow would come across and split that V-shaped structure, um, V-shaped petroglyph. So I thought that was real interesting. Uh, there are people who make um, a science, a real study of looking for these sorts of petroglyphs that um, mark uh, solar events. And then on the right was a little stone effigy bowl that had four frogs on it, hard to see here, but that was in the museum, so you can also go to a museum there. 
I went to the White Mountain um, Apache Reservation, and on their land is a ruin called Kanishpa. Kanishpa is interesting because there was a um, Byron Cummings, who is fairly famous in Arizona for archaeology, went there in the 30s and restored a lot of the ruins, dug them out, restored them, and tried to turn it into another Mesa Verde. That didn't work out. So now what you see are these Puebloan ruins and their renovations, their reconstructions, falling into ruin again. Um, very, very different kind of experience and kind of sobering. And now my last one, no, almost last one. Um, this is Tularosa. This is up by Reserve. So Reserve is off there, uh, what, sort of central west New Mexico. And this area has some really ancient rock art. And what's interesting about this too is it's on these basalt cliffs. They're quite extensive. I spent a lot of time there. So here's at the top is what the cliffs look like from a, um, a view from the distance. And down below that is the sunset, which I watched as I ran to my car because I was very late. All right, so El Moro is an interesting place in Mexico. It's got uh, a lot of inscriptions there. There's an inscription rock. The reason this place was well-traveled is it has a reliable water source. Having a reliable water source, it has a Pueblo, and the Pueblo is up on top of this mesa. And the Pueblo is called Atsina. So if you find yourself at El Moro, it's really worth your while to go up there and look at this Pueblo. Pueblo Pintado. This is the easternmost extension of Chaco Canyon. So Chaco is large in itself, but it also has this outlier. And once again, the classic stonework. Another outlier for, for, Chaco, for Chaco is Chimney Rock. Chimney Rock was kind of discovered by the Chacoan people, and they realized that between these two spires of rock, at the right time of not just the year, but the lunar cycle, there's a lunar standstill. So it's about a 17-year cycle where the moon appears to go a little bit north, and then it goes a little bit south, and at its northern extent, you can see it between these two towers. And when that would happen, there's evidence that the, um, that the people there would light signal fires to let the people in Chaco know that this event had occurred. Near there is the Southern Ute Cultural Center and Museum, well worth a visit. Modern um, Ute tribe with a real message to um, their own people, and to visitors taking pride in their culture. Fascinating place. And then my last place is Pipe Spring. Pipe Spring is over by Kanab. In, um, it's in Arizona. And this was an area that had a reliable spring 
kind of like El Moro, and settlers moved in and basically commandeered those springs for their own use and took that away from the uh, Kaibab Paiute people. And that's it. So um, thank you for your patience. I, I encourage you on your own trips, it's, it's well worth your while to travel slowly and enjoy. <laughs>